Turbo Alpert, the Tumor Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his debut appearance, or at least his debut appearance in the capacity of lead prospect analyst, is lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest. And what follows Longenhagen, as he will continue to do, it appears each week on the program, analyzes all prospects of particular note this week. A brief but satisfying introduction to the 2016 Amateur Draft. Longenhagen discusses not only the top five prospects for that draft, but also discusses a few players who will slip down to the early second round and receive overslot bonuses. A fact which it appears is not unrelated to Atlanta's decision this past week to absorb Brian Mattis's nearly $4 million contract while also receiving at the same time a competitive balance pick from the Orioles. Longenhagen also provides an update as to where we currently reside on the scouting calendar, which is similar to but also different than the Gregorian calendar. Team meetings are set to occur over the next few weeks ahead of the draft. What are those? What happens during them? And what can we learn from them? Finally, Longenhagen, who was originally hired for Fangraphs by erstwhile lead prospect analyst Kylie McDaniel, reveals certain dark truths about Kylie that he likely wouldn't want known. He outfitted uh, an axe spray that when he pressed it down, it also made the reggaeton horn sound. Embarrassing revelations just like that, and also that specific embarrassing revelation to follow. But first, a much less embarrassing revelation. Sponsor's message. Sponsor is SeatGeek, SeatGeek.com. I'm saying nothing new when I suggest that the purchase of tickets, whether it be for live sports or concerts, can be full of work and hassle and extra expenses. That's why it's essential to use a site not just like, but exactly like SeatGeek. What SeatGeek does is to pull the tickets, is to aggregate tickets from multiple sites on the internet into one place so that it's possible always to find the best values. And indeed, SeatGeek goes one step further, which is they assess a grade to every ticket based on its value, rendering it an exercise in simplicity to exploit inefficiencies in the ticket market. Finally, unlike other sites, for example, StubHub, I'll say like that. I'll say StubHub SeatGeek. We'll show you the full ticket price from the beginning to the end of a transaction, never adding any hidden fees or any of that sort of business. For having endured this sponsor's message, Fangraphs audio listeners receive a $20 rebate. Here's how to get it. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code Fangraphs. That's F-A-N-G-R-A-P-H-S. Fangraphs. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app. Enter the promo code Fangraphs today or your nearest possible convenience. We try to rinse marks the conclusion of the sponsor's message in the beginning of the rest of our lives and this program. What is it? It's Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Lead prospect analyst Eric Longenhagen. When does it begin? Right now. start playing some sort of weird audio yeah okay that's probably good yeah listen i want you to know eric huh? yeah why you feel comfortable this is a safe space oh that's good and i want you also to know that we don't necessarily need to do uh we don't need to do a a deep examination of prospects today because it's my guess that certain of our listeners would want to know more about um, some general qualities of your approach to prospecting, and so that, and we might come, we they might bring us to some specific examples. Mm-hmm. But this will allow us, allow me even, 
Uh, it will give me some context uh, with which to read the work that you'll be producing for the site. That's always good, yeah. I think, considering it sounds like you haven't read any of it in the past. Excuse me? Excuse me? No, I haven't. <laughs> now um, I'm going to start reading your stuff. I'd like to know a little bit about you. I'm well... Uh, <laughs> I'm well acquainted with your work. I must be because I've been editing posts here. And uh, you didn't write as much recently, but, but when... Um, Z- when Kylie McDaniel was serving as the czar of prospect analysis for Fangraphs.com, mm-hmm. I believe you wrote quite a bit then, at least not infrequently. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was a little bit. It was just some stuff, you know. It was I was there briefly. It was very brief. Yeah, I had a uh, a meteoric rise, as they say. It was I don't know, like maybe four or five months before ESPN came calling for you. Yeah, for me. But you mean. When you'd gotten into the game? Oh, no, no, no. Like, after I had... After Kylie brought me on oh, to yeah. his staff. Yeah. Well, Kylie's uh, name is a is a byword for quality. We all know that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you don't sound convinced. Bro, prospect bros are... <laughs> Kylie McDaniel. I will say... Uh, Do I, I get any sort of... Uh, I don't know how he had so much energy to be so whimsical... All the time? On the pod, yeah, I don't understand that. <laughs> oh, uh, well, here, I think that one thing that uh, allowed – well, you have to think that – I mean, he had – the host had a lot to do with it. I think you would you could argue that pretty successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing was just staying curious, just staying curious like a little curious guy, Eric. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah. Or would you consider yourself more afflicted by life? <laughs> Are you more afflicted? I don't know. I'm, I think maybe I'm a little more. I don't want to start head shrinking someone who I don't talk to very. very Are you talking often. about Kyle McDaniel? Yeah. No, the the, um, the great the the real pleasure of discussing Kylie at this point in time is that, given his role in a major league front office, mm-hmm. he doesn't really have it, a capacity to respond in a public fashion. <laughs> um, he is just a dartboard for our. Yeah, it's great. And there's a strong chance. I don't I don't know. I can't say one way or the other, but I'm going to say there's a I'm going to say there's at least a 50% chance that he will hear everything you and I are saying right now and he can respond privately. He can <laughs> wring his hands um which are saturated with Axe body spray. One of his one of his, one of his favorite products. Is it I, true I, that he outfitted uh, an axe spray that when he pressed it down, it also made the reggaeton horn sound? That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's still under development, but he does hold the patent on it. Yeah. It does he have a patent on it? Okay. He's, he's got the patent on it. Yeah. 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 Well, you know he's ambitious, and it, not just in terms of uh, his you know baseball-related activities. So mm-hmm. that's good. Uh, let me ask you this. Let's, yeah. start, let's start with a simple question. On what now? I don't think you have officially concluded your ESPN duties, even as you have begun your your duties with Fangraphs. Is that? I think that's fair to say, right? That's not. I'm not telling any tales at a school, am I, Eric? No, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's fine, right? Because you do a lot of work on the draft for them. Yeah. In fact, one might say almost exclusively. Yeah, until the this draft is over. Indeed, my draft stuff is ex- exclusively belongs to uh, Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and ESPN. That's your intellectual property. Mm-hmm. That's not your property, I guess. It belongs to ESPN. Um, on what sort of things are you working right now? I guess one 
one topic of conversation with regard to prospecting that I continue to find, uh, in which I continue to find um, interest. I continue to be, in which I continue to be interested in, interested, <laughs> Eric, <laughs> is the prospect calendar, right? Because oh, I, yeah. think, I think that one can, I think a person could be invested pretty heavily in baseball and yet not have a great sense of the calendar as it applies to those who are interested in both amateur and even uh, even professional prospects but certainly amateur prospects so i guess i guess i'd start is where where are you right now what 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 is what's going on in your calendar well with you know the draft rapidly approaching you're trying to talk to as many people as you can before team meetings start you know, okay. and everyone sort of goes dark for fear of losing their job if they're caught talking to you. Okay. Um, texting is a wonderful thing that's, you know, covert and inconspicuous mm-hmm. that, you know, helps. Uh, but, you know, just as conference tournaments are sort of underway. You're talking about uh, college, college conference tournaments? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's sort of the last chance to get information on players that you want to sort of double back on and make sure that you have an ironclad set of opinions on guys who are especially the polarizing guys toward the top of the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once team meetings start in a week and a half or so, depending on the team, it's much harder to get guys on the phone, which is just how I'm, I'm just more effective talking on the phone than I am texting. Mm-hmm. I have clumsy fingers and just can't do that as quickly as I yeah, can. Yeah, I've seen your finger, unusual fingers you have. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to say I'm not going to say disgusting. <laughs> just different. They're just different. Mhm. Mm-hmm. They're like uh Chuck uh what's what was the name of Concrete Charlie from the, the Eagles. Why can't I remember his name? This is how consumed I am by baseball now. I can't remember a Hall Maybe. of Fame football player's name. Oh, oh, we're talking. I thought you were talking about the band. Oh no, no! I was no. going to say I don't know if is that the name of the band? The Eagles? Yeah, the pretty famous. No, one. not the not the band, the Eagles, the football team. I thought Concrete Charlie was the name of a. I'm sure Chuck Benarek. That's who I'm thinking. Okay, of. fine. Are you aware of Chuck Benarek? No, what is his fingers? His fingers were yeah. Oh yeah, his fingers were really messed up. Looking after his playing career, he played offensive line and and oh, linebacker right, right, the Eagles, right. and his fingers were not dissimilar from mine, and just go with shooting off in all sorts of. Different directions, like some sort of contemporary art piece. Yeah, right. Or like a or like a houseplant that's been mangled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so this is interesting, right? So you've mentioned a couple things here, um, and one of them is the team meetings, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the, the amateur draft, Major League Baseball's amateur draft. I assume it starts in June because that seems to be the time it always starts. Mm-hmm. It's it starts June Thursday, June 9th. Okay. And that's usually what they do, like the first round, the first day, and then you get like two through ten and something like that. Yeah, it's the first round and then the sandwich picks on that first day, and then I, the next day is everything uh, through the tenth round, and then the last thirty rounds <laughs> right. are uh, on Saturday. Sure. And so what? So so what happens at a team meeting, to the best of your knowledge, or maybe you have perfect knowledge of it? Either way, Eric, tell me. Well, it's just when, you know, all the area scouts will fly to some sort of central location, normally where the team, you know, lays its head, mm-hmm. uh, and you start getting really in-depth on players beyond, uh, you know, beyond the first few rounds at this point, 
Uh, and, and this is where, you know, any of that financial maneuvering that teams maybe want, wanting to do is, you know, teams like the Padres this year and the Braves and the Reds, who've got a lot of money to, to toss around, or the Nationals who have consecutive picks late in the first round. It's where they sort of start calling agents and trying to figure out what sorts of bonuses kids might be commanding and, how they might best be able to manipulate their their signing pools and you know figure out how they can have the most efficient draft process possible. Uh, so you know any of that talk that we're hearing now about teams targeting, especially high school arms in this draft later than they should go, uh, with you know big time overslot bonuses. Player specifics right now are kind of hard to nail down mm-hmm. and anything you hear is probably just sort of get you know educated guesses and conjecture uh, but if you can get anybody who knows on the phone during those team meetings that's when you start to really try to identify who might be falling into the 40s it seems like is going to be the the realm for those guys in this draft who might be falling there at, with big time overslot deals mm-hmm so as far as I'm concerned, like that's the most important part of things for me. And the team meetings, it seems like, are important because not only because now what you are getting, if you have a contact, is not merely the opinion of one dude. It is, I mean, it, it, this dude himself could, you know, could share this. But he, what he's reporting to you is something like, is something approaching a consensus within the organization. Yeah, I mean, if there uh, certainly some. People are more apt to lean on their own opinions of players, especially the, you know, the ones towards the top of the draft have been heavily scouted by not just the area guy, but by three, four plus people from the organization. Uh, and you know, if you, if your opinion on a player who you've seen 30 plus times is different than your super regional supervisor or, you know, some special assignment scout who was just sent in to see that guy, uh, you might not be as revelatory about your organization's feelings as a whole just because you're pretty resolute in how you feel about that player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I would say that there's certainly more likely that you could get a feel for a player uh, in a way that's more, you know, the ro- opinions are more robust and diverse, even just from talking to one person. Right. But, you know, at this point, uh, I should have a pretty good idea of what, I and the industry thinks of the individual players at the very top of the draft. It's just, you know, weird guys who have been up and down because of injury or, you know, like AJ Puck's just been bad sometimes. You know, just guys like that, how they look in their most recent appearances uh, is, you know, sort of the only thing scouting-wise that I'm trying to hunt down right now. Now, you, you mentioned with regard to the Nationals that they have consecutive picks. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be... what? What does that do in terms of strategy when entering the draft? What is the, what, what is the you said that they would be talking about how to use those? What are the advantages or disadvantages of consecutive picks? Well, it just gives you a little bit more certainty than the teams who have multiple picks early, but they're spread out. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure that the Phillies and uh, Braves would love to be confident that they can move players back into the 40s that they like. But because the Padres and Reds and Nationals have multiple picks between them, it's hard to be like totally sure you can do that. If you're the Nationals and there's a guy you like on the board at, do they pick? I don't know if they pick 28 and 29 or 27 and 28. It's one of the two. I would say a, it's not particularly important, but I think 28 and 29 is the answer. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, but you, you can, if you, there's somebody you really like on the board there, or that you think is going to be there, you can just take him and then take a senior sign, heavy underslot guy with your next pick, or uh, and just know that you have the guy you want in hand instead of waiting uh, with bated breath for half a round to go by before you have any real idea if that guy's still going to be there. So right. there's less ability. They can't be as explosive as like a team like the Padres can with uh, all their picks, but uh, they can be a little bit more sure that what they're doing is is in hand. Right, and what you're saying is that because when you are looking at selecting a guy later, as you said, later in the first round, you, you also mentioned the 40s, which would, I think, bring you to just the Early end. second round. Yeah, That's early like second round, yeah. Second you have the you have a situation where you're trying to pair guys you'd be paying over slot, but of course because of the bonus pools, um, you're also forced to at some level compensate for that or create cr- uh, create that extra that extra um, the extra funds you're allowed to distribute by by underpaying someone essentially, and so that mm-hmm. would fall to like a to a senior a senior type sign or something along those lines. Yeah. Or someone that your analytics department likes, you know, like like Thomas Eshelman with the Astros. Uh, oh right, last year he was out of some Western school, I think. Yeah, Cal State Fullerton. Sure. Just like an extreme strike thrower, who your your algorithms spit out as someone who's likely to have some sort of professional success. You know, you can take a guy like that early and justify it based on the analytics, which is fine. And then you go under slot, and it allows you to give Daz Cameron a nice fat signing bonus later in the draft. Right, and uh, and Eshelman, of course. Well, uh, I mean, his his weren't his rates at uh, Long Beach something crazy, wasn't it? Like historic, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it appears as though a brief examination of it um, uh, reveals that he's uh, pitching quite well for the Phillies High A affiliate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Florida State League's uh, good for for pitchers, but mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, you know, he's was always sort of that guy who you figured, okay, he's gonna. Be fine through A ball, and then once he hits double A, we'll see if the stuff plays at that level. And Redding, once he moves up to Redding, that'll be a, a, a pretty sizable test for him, considering the uh, the way that park plays for hitters. I have a feeling, and you would know much more about this than I would, um, because of not only your acquaintance with prospects, but also your acquaintance with the Philadelphia organization specifically. Mm. Uh, of course, Philadelphia acquired Eshelman in the deal that sent. I think that's the deal that sent Kent Giles to Houston. Is that right? Yep. Um, that does not seem uh, like the sort of player necessarily that Philadelphia would have targeted before the current regime, before the regime change. Yeah, and uh, I think given what we've heard about the way they're thinking about that first pick in this year's draft, I think that you know there's just I think there's a general changing of the guard going on there. I mean, they're still sending out hordes and hordes of. Scouts, the same scouts who were trusted to help make decisions uh, with high draft picks and you know just you know big big decision making scouts that they, you know, they still send those guys out and listen to their opinions. But yeah, you know the the Eshelman uh, acquisition I think is a sign that there's things are different and just you know the the general distaste for high school pitching with that first pick. Now are you talking? Uh, it seems like maybe you're pointing. Towards is it Jason Groom? He's the Philadelphia area pitcher, who is a candidate yeah, to, candidate to go number kid. one overall. New Jersey, okay, yeah. Yeah, 
Uh, I mean, you know, the track record for high school arms in the top ten for the last several years is just horrendous. I, you know, I think you have to go back to, like, Madison Bumgarner before you you find somebody who, I think Baseball America had an article about just all the complete busts who have, who've, you know, just either underperformed or gotten hurt, and you know, be it random or you know, actual arm in, injuries. It's just not good, track record for high school arms that high. And I think Jason Groom is the most talented player in the draft by far. I don't think it's close. Okay. Um, but I'm, my job isn't being heavily evaluated by who I take with the first pick in the draft. So it's easy for me to be like, yeah, if I take Jason, Green first. <laughs> uh, and you know, there's some other stuff going on there too, that makes him a little bit riskier, even than just your average high school pitcher. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so it just seems like that's just not, a thing that's going to happen at all, even though the general consensus is that's the most talented player in the whole draft. Okay, I want to get I want to get to those guys in a second. You also mentioned, um, with regard to the trade conducted recently between Baltimore and Atlanta, mm. you said something to the effect that that pick. Uh, so what happened was the uh, Baltimore sent they sent Brian Mattis and then a, so a competitive balance pick. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. They sent it to uh, Atlanta in exchange for two kind of fringy prospects. Yeah, it feels like it's just sort of arms that Baltimore likes and thinks might turn into something. You know, mm-hmm. it's but nothing impactful. But mostly they're saving the what the three million or so dollars that they it's would like three point nine million, I think. Right. So so roughly four million dollars. Now mm-hmm. you said uh, this. You said Atlanta isn't paying the Mattis contract to acquire the seventy sixth best player in the draft. They're doing it to pay a top 20 talent at 40 or 44. And you're saying right. 40 or 44 because, well, they they had they had 40. They got that from the Marlins, I think. And uh, mm-hmm. now they and they also have 44. Um, and right. so what they're doing is what is it? So they're getting they're benefiting from the added bonus pool allocation of that pick from Baltimore, so that they can aggregate some more of those funds to overpay a guy in the 40s. Yeah, I think just doing the math and assuming that they don't, you know, there's, I think there's a chance that maybe whoever's there at three wants more than slot at three. Like if they wanted groom at three, maybe it's perhaps groom won't sign for anything less than seven million or something like that. And you know, that would allow them to do that without, uh, drastically altering some of the other things they do early in the draft. Uh, so I think that's a possibility as well. But yeah, just in general, uh, if you, held slot uh, as the Braves at pick three and signed the guy you draft there for slot, you and, you know, go way under slot with that 76th pick, you could theoretically sign someone at 40 to a bonus befitting, like, I think it's like the 15th or 16th pick in the draft. You know, you could, it could be worth, you could sign someone at 40 for like 2.4 million mm-hmm. and just sign slot everywhere else, which obviously doesn't seem likely. You're going to be more creative than that. Um, but just those little incremental differences, you know, you can call, if you're the Braves, you can call a kid's advisor who's you think might fall a little bit and tell them that they're, to tell teams not, they're not going to take less than two and a half million. And then unless someone wants to get really creative after, you know, pick 15, if the Dodgers at 20 want to move money around or the Padres or the Nationals, you know, want to blow up their draft class for a kid like that, it's going to be hard for anybody else to sign him. Before he gets to 40, because you can pay him 2.5 plus million dollars and other teams can't. Right. Uh, so, 
yeah, you know, back at pick 76, this kind of says a little bit something about the draft process, too, that the Braves were essentially willing to pay Mattis's $4 million salary for the year for a pick that's valued at 800 some thousand dollars. You know, it's just sort of the way the collective bargaining agreement has has valued this pick at $800,000, where its real value is probably something considerably more than that. Right. Well, uh, presumably uh, Atlanta is looking at the the marginal value of the pick, right? Which is to mm-hmm. say we could theoretically, by virtue of of this added uh, bonus money, we could sign uh, we could sign someone who will be worth um, you know much more than $4 million to our organization. I mean, that has to be the reasoning. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And there's just some there's some whispers that the Braves are sort of fighting for some of the same players that some of those other teams that pick in that area covet mm-hmm. uh, for overslot deals in you know the late 30s and early 40s, and so it seems as though to me, and this is just you know a logical guess that they're just doing what they can to move into position to get the guy that they want there. Right. By just sort of trumping everybody else financially. Now, all right, so tell me, we talked briefly about Groom. I'm interested, mm-hmm. who are the candidates to go, uh, you know, first overall? And I guess, I guess I mean that from two, in, in, in two ways. One, who are the Phillies specifically, you know, to, you know, who, who's a particularly good fit for the Phillies? The Phillies, of course, have the, uh, the first overall pick. It's worth about $9 million, or it's allocated $9 million. Um, but then who are just generally like, you know, the top two, three, four players in this particular draft class? Well, I think the two guys most likely to go one right now are probably A.J. Puck, the lefty okay. out of Florida. Okay. Uh, and Mickey Moniak, the high school outfielder from the Carlsbad area, uh, like 30 miles outside San Diego. Uh, and I think Corey Ray is a possibility there as well, the outfielder from Louisville. Sure. And uh, I think there's a chance that they're, you know, especially as team meetings are starting to get underway, that they might see what, uh, you know, dark horse candidate that they like might be willing to take a pretty serious underslot deal there that would allow them to do a whole lot more uh, in the draft than they would if they just took somebody uh, who would command most of that slot at one. Uh, so, so wait, who is this? Who is this? Uh, so, Jason Groom, but hard, hard throwing, relatively polished prep left-hander. Yeah, Groom is he's you know he's six five lefty, really athletic. The delivery is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So is the curveball. He's got plus plus curveball projection. He's already up to to ninety four, ninety five. Uh, you know he's a he's a starter from a cold weather uh, region of the country. Those guys. You can project more on those guys because there's just less innings, there's less reps, these guys aren't as polished uh, as their counterparts in Southern California and Florida who just play baseball year-round and can tighten things up. Uh, but, you know, high school arm, uh, you know, and uh, it just seems to trump everything else. <laughs> right. So just the risk associated with him. And then, you know, the same thing goes for Riley Pint. Okay, right, sure. And I remember that name uh... – from, from doing the program with with Kylie about you know I don't know probably a year ago at this point or, or mm-hmm. not quite that yeah he's the hardest high high school 
hardest-throwing high school pitcher of all time, probably, at this point, as far as, you know, anyone's measured. And where's he out of? Kansas. He's just at a high school in Kansas. Okay. St. Thomas Aquinas. Okay, and he's throwing what? I mean, you say hardest throwing. Is he hitting a right, He's, like, been up to 102 in workouts. Okay. Uh, that seems gigantic, yeah. Yeah, and reviews of the secondaries are just sort of okay. And so if you think he breaks and leaves, you know, three, four miles an hour on the operating table somewhere, then he's no better than, you know, the next tier of high school arms in the draft. Uh, and, you know, just you know, Keith and I are lower on him than most of the rest of the industry because we just think there's a decent likelihood that that happens. And even if it doesn't, you know, the secondary stuff just isn't where – we think it justifies a top five pick, but some people do. Now, listen, uh, you, the, the sort of player you described there, one who's, who's, who is compelling mostly because of his arm speed, mm-hmm. um, it reminds me a little bit of Tyler Kolek, who was picked by Miami. I mean, I'm, reminded me, I'm an idiot, but it reminds me of Tyler Kolek, who was selected with a pretty high pick uh, by the Marlins a couple of years ago and, has not had a lot of success in the in the minors, and in fact, uh, in April underwent Tommy John surgery. Is mm-hmm. that is that a fair comparison, or is that am I am, am I misleading myself? I think you know the marquee tool being you know a hundred mile an hour fastball is obviously a similarity. Right. I really wasn't on Kolek. Uh, I guess I guess I was writing for Sports on Earth at that time, uh, so I have to dig up that stuff to see my thoughts on Kolek, but, you know, the bodies were drastically different. Kolek was just a behemoth, you know, 6'6", like 240, just body, had very little projection, uh, almost no projection unless you, you know, cross your fingers and hope that things sort of tighten up a little bit there and and wonder what that might do. Mm-hmm. You know, Steven Strasburg's a guy who got himself in better shape and the stuff sort of took off and you wonder if Col- you know, if Kolek would have uh, remade his body, what that might have done for him physically. You just really can't know that. Right. Uh, Pine is just more athletic and just has your more uh, traditional pitcher's build. Mm-hmm. He's 6'4", probably 210, I think I want to say, uh, uh, is what he's listed at. And just a really, really strong athletic kid. Uh, and people are really betting on that as well, in addition to the velocity that the body can just hold up and he's athletic enough to learn whatever you it is you want to your pitching coaches want to teach him and uh now there was a third pitcher too you mentioned a, uh, a collegiate pitcher though and that's aj puck who i mm-hmm. believe has been in that top five conversation for for a while now he throw he pitches for florida i think is that right mm-hmm. okay and um uh, is it now is he is for him is it uh, a question of velocity too or does he offer something else besides that Oh, no, yeah, there's velocity there, too, and the sliders flashes plus. It's just been a consistency issue with him, and not just performance-wise, but health-wise, too. He's had the back issue this year. His last start was cut short because he didn't feel well. You know, just sort of weird things have gone on with him. Uh, sort of, it seems kind of snake bit. Not that that's an actual thing that anybody thinks. It just seems that way. Mm-hmm. You know, It's hard to go get in there and get a good look at the kid because some starts he... He shoves for six innings against the National. Oh, oh wait, wait. We should note uh, to shove, a verb meaning uh, to pitch. To pitch well. To pitch yeah. well. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Uh, but uh, but you know the back I think is an issue. He doesn't finish out in front consistently enough for me. The body is sort of weird. There just aren't a lot of big league starters who look like this. Uh, people question the athleticism. 
So, you know, it's not somebody I would pop 1-1. But, you know, we were saying a lot of the same things about Carlos Rodon the year he was drafted. He had back issues. He was kind of stiff and maxed out physically and wasn't performing. And he looks just fine now. Right. Of course, he made it to the majors in pretty quick order and has, by and large, succeeded there. So for a college arm who has stuff that's worthy of, I think, top of the draft consideration – there just hasn't been that consistency that you had with like a David Price or anybody like that, you know. And Price himself had strike throwing issues too at Vanderbilt. But you know, it's just there's just a lot to sift through up top, and I don't think teams up top are thrilled with what's there uh, as much as teams down around pick ten are, because someone that they like is probably going to fall. Uh, so it's you know, it's just I don't envy the teams picking in the top. Four of this year's draft. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned um, David Price having some troubles with um, with command while he was at college, because that has not really been the case. Uh, well, of course, no, the opposite. Right. We can, you know, we can debate the these differences between c- uh, command and control, but uh, let's say let's say for the sake of let's say control. He said, uh, yeah, he was, you know, maybe having trouble hitting spots, walking people. Um, and of course, right. That's not really that has not been an issue for him, certainly recently as a major leaguer. Uh, but um, and it's also interesting because I remember having had the uh, at one point looking at Cliff Lee's numbers from Arkansas. I think he pitched there for at least a year when he was uh, when he was a collegiate. And of course, it took some time for him to transform into. That uh, most amazing version of Cliff Lee, but most of his, uh, most of his innings as a major leaguer were marked were marked by the ability to throw strikes, but not necessarily to get the ball by people. And that's something that I mean, eventually he developed all of the skills and was you know roughly it was basically a perfect pitcher. And actually, uh, the pitchers are similar in the sense that they both re- almost refused to to throw the ball out of the strike zone, um, perhaps to their detriment. Um, but it's interesting that you cited Price as, as an example of a pitcher who had trouble commanding the ball as as a collegiate because that has not really been the case from the major leagues. I guess that would lend itself. I don't, do you think these are merely isolated examples, or do you think there really is? Do you think it's hard to project future control or command based on present command for for collegiates? I think that Lee and Price are so far right tail success wise that that they almost have to be outliers okay so yeah so you think that that they they're that they are essentially they are exceptions that prove the rule that um or you know that suggested like they they are so amazing in a bunch of different ways that they're not really the players at whom you look to get an idea about how other guys might develop right yeah and i mean i think in general that uh, just athleticism is, a, you know, a good rule of thumb on which to project command. Mm-hmm. You know, guys like that. I think it's certainly for left-handed pitchers, too. And guys like Price and, you know, like Puck, who are just huge human beings with long uh, limbs. That stuff just takes longer to, to hone in and control as you age and enter your physical prime into your 20s. Uh, so I think that just ha- having the athleticism to sort of rein those things in and control your body and repeat your delivery more, uh, you know, that stuff can just come later mm-hmm. for some of those guys. Uh, but 
you know, like I said, an interesting price and guys like Lee and David Wells and Kurt Schiller, just the extreme strike throwers of, you know, our generation are just so exceptionally gifted at throwing strikes that it's, it's hard to look at them and try to say, okay, why is this guy so good at this particular thing and find a reason that can be replicated over and over and over again, something to identify uh, with scouting, you know, you just look for athleticism and uh, just signs that that guy might come along later than others. And some of that is purely, you know, fabrication. There's not, there's not really anything to hard and concrete to back it up other than that guy's tall and kind of gangly and awkward looking, but I see the athleticism and I think uh, that when the cement is dry, it'll be cleaner. It'll be more uh, repetitious mm-hmm. and that that will lead to more strikes and less walks. Right. It lends itself to that. Okay. So uh, Puck, we've got, we were talking about them because of Puck's the college pitcher. Uh, you mentioned also a college batter. I think the only college hitter you mentioned, which is Corey Ray. Who is Corey mm-hmm. Ray? Corey Ray, um, we don't, you don't even really, uh, without even looking at any of the sort of tools, um, his stat line reveals what you have to imagine is a great player, at least at the collegiate level, uh, roughly even walk and strike out numbers, not striking out a ton, uh, 14 home runs in you know, about, you know, what would essentially be a half season's worth of plate appearances for a major leaguer, you know, nearly 300. And in addition to that, a 37 for 37 stolen base record. Um, it, that seems like a player who has tools and skills in combination. And I guess, yeah. uh, uh, are there weak spots? <laughs> I mean, there's nothing really sexy about Corey Ray from a scouting perspective. Everything is kind of a 50-55. You want to put a six on uh, his legs. I think you could do that. Maybe if you wanted to, to put a, a future six on the bat, too, you could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he's just been a really solid performer everywhere he's gone since he's been in Louisville. And, you know, I don't think if the, if the Phillies took him First, I don't think that'd necessarily be a bad pick. Um, you know, in my chat last week, somebody asked, it was my favorite question in the whole chat, is uh, an adjusted, was it adjusted runs created plus of like about 105 with a few defensive runs saved in an outfield corner a fair projection for Corey Ray? And I, and I think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. It seems, you know, a lot of the guys who have uh, you know, adjusted runs created in that area are sort of deficient. There's just sort of uh, de- one deficiency in you know that sort of is evident in their just a triple slash line. Whether they they get on base a little below the mean, but out out slug people or vice versa. This is just sort of something like that. I think Ray kind of fits into that. Uh, I'm not sure. He's going to have the power that we're seeing, certainly not the raw home run totals that we're seeing now in pro ball, certainly not at the major league level. Uh, I think there are aspects of his swing that he adjusts depending on pitch location mm-hmm. that make him a little more contact-oriented. Uh, and I think a lot of the power comes purely to his pull side, which if major league pitchers are so inclined, can they can just stay away from that and pitch him away and let him slap, uh, you know, 
balls down the line the other way, you know, all day if it means he's not going to uh, do a ton of damage. So I think that some of that power might be limited just because of uh, certain aspects of his swing. I haven't seen him a whole lot because of where he is and where I am geographically. I just haven't been able to see him a ton. But yeah, he's just performed everywhere with Team yet Team USA and with Louisville ever since he set foot on campus. And I think he's just a nice, uh, safe, chaste uh, selection. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he seems to be the sort of player who would not necessarily merit a nine million dollar signing bonus. Yeah. So if the, yeah, I don't if think the anyone who were... goes one one is going to command nine million. Okay. But uh, yeah, he would be. You know, like I said, I think the Phillies are kicking around the idea uh, that of, of going heavy, heavy under slot at one. And you know, Kyle Lewis is kind of the name that has been mentioned there, uh, the outfielder from Mercer. But I don't. I think teams are kind of cooling on him in general. What's the uh, most? And, uh, what's the most? Sort of, I don't know, egregious uh, exploitation of uh, slot manipulation you've seen, where you know a player you would never expect to go in the top ten rounds uh, was selected in them, um, merely for the you know for the purposes of being able to over overpay another guy. Well, I mean, you could go back and see. I think the Cubs took a guy in like the tenth round last year that allowed them to pay Daryl Wilson, who was their third or fourth round pick last year, much more than uh, slot. Mm-hmm. So like, you could probably go back and see over the last few years since the, the pool system has been put in place, you know, guys get senior signed type players getting uh, the bare minimum bonus in the first 10 rounds, just so other players could make a few, uh, you know, like, Extra ten thousands of dollars over slot, so that. But like up near the top of the draft, and you used uh, the term egregious, mm-hmm. which, uh, as far as uh, players are concerned, in getting screwed money wise, mm-hmm. I don't have an example off the top of my head. Yeah, I think the most effective <laughs> use of uh, pool manipu- manipulation over the last few years has been, I think, what the Astros did with Daz Cameron last year was. Uh, Stroke of genius, um, but the Kyle Schwarber pick. Oh right, they, yeah. What there wasn't like a, a Mike Bauman from The Ringer and late of uh, D1 Baseball and Grantland and I were like as big Schwarber fans as you could have found before the draft, and even both of us thought four was high. Uh, but you know they used the savings from the Schwarber pick to sign. Dylan Cease, who's up to 100 down here in extended, uh, Justin Steele, and Carson Sands, who are both in, uh, they're both uh, at South Bend right now, and I think Steele is performing better than Sands is. But, you know, they just use that savings to take a bunch of high upside high school arms that they ordinarily wouldn't have been able to sign. And the chances are two of them either turn into relievers or nothing at all, uh, but one of them might be, you know, a mid to front of the rotation type of starter one day. And they did that because they signed a guy under slot in the top five who also happened to be the first player from hitter from that class to reach the major leagues and is really, really good. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, a very a excellent hitter relative to his age and experience. 
Um, of course, uh, a defensive liability probably at most positions, except the yeah. one Anthony Rizzo already plays. But yeah, that worked out. I mean, he got to the minors quickly, and he hit, or he got through the minors quickly, and he hit in the mm-hmm. majors. Uh, last guy you mentioned was the one who's least familiar to me, and by least familiar, I mean not at all. Was Mickey Moniak from mm-hmm. Carlsbad? Say anything about him, and it will be it will be new knowledge for me, please. Uh, I've seen a lot of Moniac, uh, just because he's been down here in Arizona for showcase stuff, and uh, just lives in San Diego, and you know I've just been in to see him, and I think it's the best hit tool in the whole draft. I I put a sev- future seven on the bat. Uh, it's really really good. Mm-hmm. He's like an above average runner. But doesn't have a whole lot of physical projection. He's, you know, he's just kind of slightly built. He's narrow in the shoulders and down through the waist. He's got kind of a flat butt. Uh, and guys like that just don't typically fill out and develop any sort of power. Uh, and I think, you know, he might just have 40 raw power at maturity. But that's also kind of good because he's not going to fill out to the point where he can't play center field anymore. Mm-hmm. He's got good defensive instincts in center field, and so it's fine that he's just a 55 runner there. I think he can play center field. And if you're a seven hitter and can play a decent center field, that's really good. Uh, you know, I've just seen things from him that are really rare hitter traits. Uh, they come just, naturally to him, presumably. Yeah, just just natural timing and the ability to adjust while, you know, just his hips and feet and just the way he's going to time his swing while the ball's in midair. It's some some things that, like, uh, Nomar Mazzara does and Joey Votto does and Miguel Cabrera does, just uh, things that are just freakishly innate hitting tools. Um, and he's not, you know the most physically imposing presence, but there's just something really, really special about the way this kid hits and it's to all fields and, you know, he'll turn on, he'll open, he'll clear his hips and turn on some balls in that he can hit out. Uh, and I don't think he hit his first high school home run until this season, but you know, I'm excited about him. I think the upside is limited because the power is, mm-hmm. But uh, as I'm, I'm very confident in his ability to hit, really. And I was almost at the point, he's hit better for me at showcases than he has when I've gone and seen him just against his normal high school competition. And I think it's just because that pitching is beneath him. <laughs> like, he's just better at squaring up stuff in the low 90s with guy, you know, high school arms from Florida who have, you know, average to above breaking balls and are effectively wild at this age. Uh, he's just, he's comfortable against those guys. It's, it's kind of bizarre, but yeah, I like Moniac quite a bit. He's committed to UCLA, but you know, every, I don't think there's any issue with him signing, especially if the kid's going to go in the top five. Right. And you think top five is probable? I think the Rockies at four are probably where he stops unless they, unless Groom gets there. And the team is just says this is the best player in the draft, especially the Rockies who just can't develop pitching. Uh, you know, if they were to look at Groom and be like, we, you know, they might have a hard time passing on somebody like that. But I think, uh, yeah, I think four or five, 
depending on how things shake out, is probably where where Moniac ends up. Okay. Well, those are so those are those are some uh, those are five interesting names we've gone over: Puck, Moniac, Ray, and also Groom, and also mm-hmm. Pint. I think we mentioned. So that mm-hmm. seems to be a number. Of, now you mentioned that uh, someone's going to fall. Someone, someone. You think there are going to be at least a couple guys in the 40s area? What's a name? What's one name that you think that might end up there? Um, that who could uh, receive uh, a larger an overslot bonus? Yeah, so there's just too many good high school pitchers than can go in the first round. It's just not teams just aren't going to be taking you know a dozen high school pitchers in the first round. So I think Joey Wentz, uh, who's a like just a big six foot five. Athletic, smooth, left-handed pitcher from uh, Kansas again. You know, again, another Kansas prep kid. It's weird mm-hmm. uh, this year, but uh, that's somebody who might fall back into the 40s. Kevin Gowdy, a high school pitcher from Santa Barbara, who's probably uh, you know f- fits closer to that area. He's probably you know as far as just ranking guys on pure talent. Probably somewhere in the 20s or 30s on talent, but might slip back into the 40s if someone covets him and wants to take him over slot there. And then, you know, I just think in general some of the high school arms like Matt Manning from Northern California, who's been into the mid-90s with, uh, you know, a plus slider and is really athletic. His dad played professional basketball. Jared Horn, who's also from that that area, who's been up to 97. Uh, those are the kind of guys who might fall down into that area and just be tremendous value and uh, at those picks. Let me, uh, so th- th- those are some um, some more specific things about the draft we discussed. You did mention one point, um, which was something I was going to I was curious about anyway, which is the uh, the ability to see Corey Ray or the limited ability to see Corey Ray because he's playing baseball uh, in you know the Mid Atlantic and Southern states. On the eastern seaboard, while well, you live in Phoenix, Arizona, or the Phoenix area, mm-hmm. uh, I was curious. Uh, of course, when Kylie worked here, uh, uh, he was a resident mostly of Florida. I think he might have moved to Georgia at some point in the middle of that. Um, I'm wondering about well, what do you consider the advantages disadvantages of Phoenix, and just like the the best places to live, general for being able to see all manner of all manner of prospects, uh, certainly amateur and maybe professional too as well, if that uh, if that's also available. So the disadvantages of living here are just it's hard to see a diverse array of pro stuff during the summer. Okay. I have extended here, which you know gives me access. Extended to, spring training. Yeah. yeah. So I've got the AZL kids covered, and I'll you know I have them in AZL as well. But I get to look at some of the guys who will go back to like the Dominican Summer League who are here for the spring, but then for the summer they'll go back. Uh, so I get to see those guys. That's nice. But, you know, like I just have the AZL here in June and July. So if I want to go see, you know, anything else, the Pacific Coast League and the Cal League are within driving distance. Uh you know, I can, you know, hit Rancho Cucamonga or Lake Elsinore like four and a half, five hours each. Oh, those are only f- – wow, that's uh, – I think of them as being a different world. You can get to Tucson too. How far is Tucson? Well, Tucson doesn't have a team anymore. They moved to El Paso. There's no team at Tucson? Uh-uh. Oh, man. 
Yeah, I know it's a bummer. Tucson's great. I love Tucson. Like, yeah, I'd Tucson like is... to spend more time there. I wish there were more baseball there. So you think you go to Rancho Cucamonga? Yeah, Rancho Cucamonga. Yeah, yeah you think you might? Nice. Is there I, is there a chance you go see a game at Rancho Cucamonga this year? Mm-hmm. I've already been to Rancho Cucamonga. You have uh, been already? Yeah, I was there. I saw uh, the Wait, Dodgers. I'm sorry. Where were you? I was in Rancho Cucamonga. Okay. I was just wondering. Uh, I saw the Quakes. Their like, stadium is – I don't know why they renamed it. I mean, they for branding issues, obviously. But, you know, they it was called the Epicenter, which is just such a brilliant name for a team called the Quakes. Uh, but now it's like – it's named after some gr- local grocery store, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. One time uh, – actually, it was just a few weeks before we got married – we were visiting California. My then me, you and uh, not you and I. No, not you and I. You and who? My. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife. Um, we. Uh... I love how you like guarded from like you've almost been scarred by it. I oh I have been. Naturally, say my wife. Like you just naturally shied away from using that phrase. Yeah, I had, well because because that's an unconscious decision or were you consciously aware that I was going to No, I didn't I didn't even it didn't even it didn't even occur to me that you would do it cuz I thought you were a better man than Kyle McDaniel. No. But it's funny that he's given you like PTSD about it. <laughs> oh, he really has. Yeah. And he'll make me even say it like he'll text me sometimes. <laughs> and he'll just be like he'll just say like my wife just like in so it's in my head. <laughs> it's real he's a real bully about it. Uh I actually I get zero baseball information from Kylie. I yeah, me too. But I get a lot of there's a lot of bullying that goes on. So you've been to Retro Cucamonga. I went there one time, um, yeah, like a couple weeks before my wife and I got married, and we went to uh, we did a double header. We did Retro Cucamonga. No, no, we did Lake Elsinore in the morning and Retro Cucamonga in the evening. I don't think she was. Particularly happy about it. She's not, she's not a huge baseball fan, but we were in California, and it. I think that the, if nothing else, the landscape there was interesting for her because it is a, it is pretty crazy. Lake Elsinore is, yeah. There's there are some beautiful aspects of Lake Elsinore. I too did the the Elsinore Rancho doubleheader earlier this spring. Yeah, and so like Grant Holmes and Yusnel Diaz, and you know. All manner of prospects. You can be efficient in the Cal League, but yeah, like back to how Arizona sucks for certain things. Like it's mm-hmm. just the pro stuff during the summer right. that it's hard. Uh, everything else is great because you know there are high school high school showcases down here uh, in January and then in the fall. So you just see some random kids for the next few drafts uh, who you get to keep tabs on or just you know be interested in and check up on later. And that's great. And then Fall League is here, and that's lovely. Oh, Fall League. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You uh, get and to spring see training. That. I mean, I haven't had the opportunity where baseball has been my full-time job to do spring training the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm sort of excited and terrified to do that next spring. Oh, you're going to go – are you going to visit some backfields, do you think? Oh, yeah. Like during the day, you know, before I was hired, you know, my full-time job, I was there nine to, you know, to be determined every day. And it, you just couldn't go do stuff during the spring because it's all during the day because it's gorgeous outside. Oh, it's great. Uh, so, you know, other than the odd <clears throat> night game for pro stuff, just to, you know, sort of reconfigure your own barometer for what a major leaguer looks like and, you know, the odd prospecty night game that, like, the Cubs and Rangers prospects play games against each other at night sometimes. And, you know, they just couldn't do a whole lot. Yeah. You uh, know, yeah, I want to say... 
You, because you, before you moved to Arizona, you were living in the, the, what, the greater Philadelphia area? Does that seem reasonable? Yeah, Lehigh Valley. Yeah. It's like about an hour and a half drive north of Philly. Very greater. About uh, an hour and a half due west of New York City. Okay. Now, it's also a great place for baseball. I mean, the, the amateur stuff in the Northeast this year has been, uh, notably, Excellent. Just oh. in Pennsylvania in general. It's it's oh, been a great year for amateur stuff in the Northeast. But you know, covering pro stuff in eastern Pennsylvania is great too, because you have access to the Eastern League, the International League, the Carolina League, the Yeah, South but let League. me allow me to tell you something. Oh do that. Long and Hagen. Mm-hmm. I, I've uh, I showed up here, I live in New Hampshire currently soon moving to Maine. Um, but I live in New Hampshire, which is not the I live not very far from Dartmouth, right? Mm-hmm. And also not very, very far from Boston College. Uh, and, of course, you get ACC talent coming through there. Not to, uh, For example, prospects like Corey Ray will play at Boston College, yeah? Mm-hmm. But uh, I just, as a person, as a human, um, going to a game in April, <laughs> mid-April, uh, in the Northeast is, like, is unpleasant. Yes. It's a real, it's a real thing. You know? Yeah. And I don't want to do it. And so I say, because, like, of course, I'm not a, I'm not a prospect analyst. So the stakes, the consequences if I don't attend a game are pretty minimal. You know? And so it's really easy to talk myself out of it. Because there think, has to be. You know, it would probably be beneficial for you to invest in a tire that isn't just cozy looking and actual provides you with some, uh, warmth. <laughs> You think I dress cozily? You think I dress cozy? I think you, yeah, don't, don't, I mean, I assume you're moving to Maine, don't you, you know? Well, sure. You have a closet full of cardigans? I'm just, you know, making inferences based on your personality. Yeah, yeah, you are. That's great. It's real sweet of you, Eric. Well, Jill and I have, you know, similar tastes in attire. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think, man, I don't know if, I don't know, I don't think I have any cardigans, but, no, you're right, it's just not flat. I don't want to sit outside in that temperature, I could be in, be in my house. No, I don't blame you. I got a I gas stove. It's miserable. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I have a pelt of chest hair. And, you I, do. and it still was miserable. In well, April. I've never seen your chest hair, but I do know that you have an impressive coiffure, coiffure, mm-hmm. coiffure, hair, you have good, nice hair. Thank you. It's thick. <laughs> Is that a trademark of all Langenhagen's? Uh, yeah, I think it is, yeah. It's definitely my Uncle Greg and my dad. Oh, Greg, my, Greg Longenhagen. Yeah, a, you talk about a mensch, right? <laughs> Greg Longenhagen? Yeah, what a guy. Oh, yeah. My Uncle Greg is actually a very nice person. I know. I'm not, I'm not disputing that fact. I'm a big <laughs> Greg Longenhagen fan myself. Actor. He's an actor. And, uh, runs a multimedia corporation in Fort Myers. Sounds. Oh, he moved to Florida, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. To the better weather. Mm-hmm. Presumably, maybe business opportunities. Yeah, I think at one time it was a burgeoning real estate mecca, and then I think once the bubble burst, it's just uh, every time I go down and visit him, just storefronts are just you know boarded up. Yeah, uh, it looks like they're ready for a hurricane, and uh, they they just just no one works there. Preemptive hurricane protection. Mm. That's the best way to do. Don't live there. We don't have any. We have haboobs here. You have haboobs. Haboobs. Are you aware of the haboobs? Ah, uh, what's it like a mini tornado? Oh no, they're they're dust storms like that scene in the Mummy. Okay. 
where the the giant wall of sand and dust engulfs Brendan Fraser and uh, Rachel Weisz. Oh, this could be a great. Could I go down a metaphorical? Could I enter a metaphorical YouTube haboob by just watching videos of haboobs? Pro- probably the helicopter shots of them are terrifying. What is it? Just a what is a wall of? It's just a giant wall of dust that's created by what should be like a thunderstorm. Uh-huh. I think the air, uh, just you know, the way the air is mixing from different levels of the atmosphere w- is the same as it would be for a thunderstorm. But there's no moisture because it's Arizona, and it just kicks up the dust in the desert, you know, south and west of the city where there's nothing but dust. And it just blows it all into the valley here, and you just have to – every traffic stops, everyone pulls over, and you just have to wait for it to pass because you can't see anything. How long does a typical haboob last? Oh, boy. You know, when we first moved here, we had some of the first couple of weeks we were here that were, you know, 45 minutes an hour long. You just have to be inside and hope that your deck chairs didn't blow into the pool. Oh, wow. That uh, sounds great. I'm going to watch some YouTube videos of that. Haboobs. Have you ever been at a game and a haboob came? Yeah. yeah, the first time I was ever in Arizona. Really? I was. At, I got off the plane. Jesus, how old was I at this point? I was. Some, it was sometime in college, and I like I blew what I made working for the Phillies AAA fleet over the summer on a on a fall league trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got off the plane and went right to Phoenix Muni for a fall league game. And like ten minutes in, we were caught in a dust storm. And this was before you know your our, everyone's phone goes off now when there's like an amber alert or a haboob approaching. It's just a thing that you know everyone's phone explodes. Yeah. Uh, and that was before that was a thing, and we all just got caught in it and ran for cover. And you know you just end up with sand and all sorts of all the crevices of your body are <laughs> you find sand later. And it's, is that an Arabic name, haboob? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that sounds it. Oh, interesting. I've never had the. Uh, I'm not going to say privilege, pleasure. It doesn't sound like a pleasure. Well, the first one would be exciting, I think. Yeah, I, it's uh, it's definitely something worth experiencing. Just to you know, you stand on the street and look normally south, mm-hmm. and you look straight up, and the sky is just a a, a complete unadulterated cerulean blue, mm-hmm. and then you look. South, and there is just a giant brown wall that's on its way. I'll say I've taken some pictures of some. It's it's really crazy. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Hey, I think you've uh, fulfilled your obligation to the program okay. this week. Does it feel good? Yeah, I mean, I'm a talker. I like uh, talking, and, and uh, you know, I enjoy talking with you. So. No, I, I like it, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I'm glad we'll be doing this consistently. Yeah, I'm, I want to do that too. I don't know how the holiday – yeah, it should affect it next week. Holiday, no, do you want to do this weekly? What, do you bi-weekly? Weekly? That's up to you. I'm fine with whatever. I don't know, you know, uh, considering all the games I'm going to be going to, uh, mm-hmm. weekly probably sounds more appropriate. To um, get all that information, to digest mm-hmm. it all, huh? Yeah, oh, geez, you know, like just getting thrust into it. The scope of the job is so immense, and especially with the draft coming. And you know, I don't want. Hey, I don't want you to feel anxious. No, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in my ability to grasp the whole thing. Yeah, I am too. That's what I, I mean. You I'm, to know. No, but it's just like I want to go. You know, I'm when we're done talking here, I'm going to go to the WAC tournament. <laughs> like <laughs> that's just the sort of stuff I like to do. What do you do? You drive? You drive into Rancho Cucamonga or something? Oh, no, I'll bike. I'm gonna ride my bike to to the Cubs complex where the WAC tournament is 
starting in an hour and a half. Oh, great. It's like five miles away, so I'll, I'll hop on my bike. What's a big whack team? Is Cal State over there? <laughs> Long Beach it's State? Like, today is uh, today's Sacramento State yeah. and Utah Valley State. Okay. And uh, who else plays today? Northern Colorado and Cal State Bakersfield. Okay. Those those are the games. Those are the four teams. Uh, and, you know, like there's just some guys whose names I've been given who I'm just going to go take a peek at while I'm there. And I'll probably bring my laptop and do some writing so you'll have something to edit soon from, like, my the extended notes I've, I've gotten from this week on, like, uh, Wanderlust Charles and some of the Cubs middle infielders, you know, Latin American kids who just look really, really good. Uh you're really going like through your that. papers there, aren't you? Aggressively. Aggressively? Yeah, you're really going, you're really looking at those papers in I'm front of I'm just looking you. at the guys, you know, the guys whose names I've got written down from stuff. I think my notebook is right next to the microphone on yeah, the, that's fine. Uh, the table here. Yeah. I apologize if it seems more. No, it's fine. Aggressively, uh, didactic than I. Didactic? Like you need to make sure I'm, I need you to know that I'm, uh, learning and checking notes. That was <laughs> <laughs> Who's Dustin Fraley? What position does he play? Dustin Fraley? Yeah, CSU Burke Bakersfield. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen them yet. I don't know. He's well, got. What's uh, that? Did you check their? Did you check their stats? Is I'm just he, looking like, at his stats. I'm just eyeballing his stats. I'm looking at, you know. Hold uh, on. I'll write that down. I'll take a good. good, good I don't know down. what position he plays though, but what I'm looking at is less than 10% strikeout rate. Leads the team tied in home runs. 18. He's got like as many stolen bases as the rest of the team combined. 18 for 22. I don't know what position wow. he plays though. Yeah, I saw them last year and was interested in some of their guys, mostly some of their pitchers, and Miles Jones, who spelled his first name M-Y-L-Z. You will not believe, actually, however, Miles Jones is the subject of some interest on this program. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, because I am, I personally am a big Max Schrock guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I have actually written a post, this is before you, you showed up, uh, Suggesting that for a number of reasons, Max Schrock will probably one day win an MVP award. <laughs> and I gave, I created, I created a rock solid argument. Mm-hmm. The sword upon which the, the tallest buildings in New York City are built. Yeah. And okay. I told, I was talking with Jeff Sullivan, who actually is going to appear in the program tomorrow. I was talking with him. I said, I think Max Schrock. So, um, what Jeff did was he did, he went to the page and he looked at other players who were selected in whatever round Schrock was selected in, maybe the seventh or something like that. Yeah. And he said he said I will pick one of these guys at random and I think he will I think he will turn out better than Max Schrock. And the player he picked was Miles Jones. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. So now we have. There's no, there's nothing think, to say. Do you think there's a chance that he selected Jones because I had written about him pre-draft as a? Uh, oh God, no, 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 no. Just it was purely at random. Yeah, yeah, totally at random. Maybe, uh, maybe it entered into his consciousness. I think also he was taken by the spelling that Miles Jones' parents had selected. Oh, yeah. yeah. He thought it was a little bit absurd, but I think that the more he grew to learn about Miles Jones, the more he liked Miles Jones. And you're suggesting that Michael, that Miles Jones has a future. Yeah, uh, you know, when I saw him last year, he was just, you know, like a seven runner who had a plus arm mm-hmm. or vice versa. I'm not sure. 
uh, I forget now, but it was like the kid could run and uh, had an arm for definitely somewhere either in right field or shortstop. Could probably run well enough for center field, but it was so raw defensively that there was like almost no way he could stay on the infield. Mm-hmm. And you know, as far as hitting goes, there were some physical tools there to be successful. But you know who just, would probably yeah. like his tools in the infield is uh, mm-hmm. ODB, yeah, old dirty bastard, because mm-hmm. he likes them raw. <laughs> My wife. <laughs> That's okay. At least both of us Kylie each other while we were on the podcast. Yeah, it's good. Uh, uh, yeah, you're. T- you, hey, Eric, I know you've gonna be about to say something about Miles Jones. You yeah, don't we should go. You don't. You know, we shouldn't go. You just don't have to say it. You're fine. Mm-hmm. You're fine. Yeah, I just I would follow him. It was very uh, unkempt skill set, but. He was toolsy enough to be worth following if you're a Rockies fan. So greater career wins above replacement, Miles Jones versus Max Schrock. You say you say what you think. Oh, well, I, I'll say that I've seen a hearty bit of Miles Jones and not of Max Schrock. Okay. And looking at Hagerstown's schedule, assuming he's not moved up uh, by the time I get to Pennsylvania to do some things in June... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to be able to run into him. But Max Schrock? Oh, listen, Max Schrock is getting promoted any day now. Okay. Yeah. My sources tell me. Maybe not that, any day now. That's fine. Probably probably, um, probably after the draft is my guess. Right. That happens a lot, right? Guys get uh, promoted after the draft? After the draft or after uh, minor league all-star games, of which I think uh, – Shrocks would be late June. Shrocks gonna, like Shrocks that, gonna be that, playing. It's probably sometime. I know, like the Cal League All Star Game is, the, is June twenty first, and mm-hmm. like I think all the full season of like uh, minor league All Star Games are around that time. So probably after that, I'd say he gets yeah. he gets moved up to Potomac. Then yeah. Would you yeah. say uh, for those about to Shrock, we salute you? Sure. All right, I'll say it too. I salute you as well, Carson Sestouli. Alright. Hey. Hmm. Eric, you have fulfilled your obligation to Fangrass Audio. Uh, no. I feel full inside. Yeah. I want to thank you. You're welcome. I want to thank Lead Prospecting host Eric Longing for what he's doing. That has been Lead Prospect. Lead Prospect Analyst Eric Longenhagen. I am Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangrass Audio. <laughs>